Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, it's Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast. It's Wednesday, August 31st. An article in the New York Times last week took note of a certain disparity in the recovery of our lifestyles from before the pandemic. Live performance is pretty much fully back in New York City, but the live audiences are not. Let's explore which audiences and why, and if anything can be done about it, other than eradicate COVID completely, which is proving so hard to do. Our guest for this is writer of the article, Javier Hernandez, culture reporter for The Times, whose beat usually focuses on classical music and dance. Javier, thanks for coming on for this. Welcome to WNYC. It's good to be here. Thank you. Can you start with some of the numbers this article is based on? You say far fewer people than before the pandemic are showing up to watch the star performers who have returned to the stage. What are some of those metrics? Well, my colleague Michael Paulson and I, we looked at a variety of metrics and across Broadway, uh, regional theaters, metropolitan opera, uh, symphony halls across the country. And what we came to notice is that attendance is significantly down by by any which way you look at it. Um, for example, on Broadway, only about half as many people saw a show last season compared with before the pandemic. At the Metropolitan Opera, uh, the paid attendance was down to 61%. Usually it's around 75%. And so what this indicated to us was that the, the even though live performance is back and there's a, a ton of energy around it right now, there are still significant gaps in terms of filling those seats and, and everyone seems to be struggling with it. You mentioned regional theater and places around the country. Do you have comparisons with other big cities or with the New York suburbs? I mean, there are plenty of theaters and concert venues, we forget sometimes, in New Jersey and on Long Island and in Westchester, for example. Do you know if this is all a Manhattan phenomenon or if it's true in L.A. and San Francisco and Chicago or in the suburbs around here uh, as well? I think it's generally true pretty much anywhere you look. Um, certainly some of the big cities have been harder hit because of a uh, phenomenon like work from home, which has emptied out downtown offices and, and those theater goers and concert goers who might just stop by after the work gets out are no longer there. So certainly in some cities like San Francisco, for example, there's there's been struggles to fill seats. Um, but I think in the suburbs, in, in uh, you know, rural areas and, and smaller cities, there's a, the same phenomenon. And, and we, the best data we had was there was a study of 143 performing arts organizations um, done by a, a group called TRG Arts. And they looked at uh, ticket sales and they were down 40 percent in the 2021-2022 mm. season compared with before the pandemic. And revenues were down by about a third. And so it, it seems to me a pretty a pretty universal indicator, uh, a pretty universal struggle as well. Yeah, the suburban theater's decline makes me think maybe it's not so much from work from home, because I think we've seen uh, retail, convenience stores, other things in the suburban areas where people used to commute into Manhattan at higher rates from, uh, you know, the local businesses there are doing better than they used to. We had a guest on talking about that recently because people are buying things, you know, near their homes in the suburbs that they used to buy near their workplaces in Manhattan. So if it was just work from home, you would think that the regional theaters would be doing maybe even better than before the pandemic. 
Yeah, I think it's it's not just work from home. Like you said, it's it's there are still lingering concerns about COVID. Some people are still very uncomfortable by the, by the idea of sitting in a small enclosed space right next to strangers. And that's certainly continuing to sap some of the sales. Um, and I think also just the pandemic has changed people's habits and and, um, you know, live performance, live theater, live concerts uh, were an important part of people's lives before the pandemic maybe not quite as important as as they were now. I, you know, I think people are just, uh, as somebody put it to us, they said the gravitational pull of, of the couch is much stronger now ah. than anyone ever expected. And I think that, that rings true for a lot of communities, that people just want to stay at home some nights um, rather than going out to see a show that, that maybe they would have before. Uh, in the right. Time. That quote jumped out at me, too. It was from Jeremy Blocker, managing director of New York Theater Workshop, a workshop which, folks, is, for those of you who don't know, is the off-Broadway theater that developed Rent and Hadestown and other important plays, as the article reminds us. He said, there was a greater magnetic force of people's couches than I, as a producer, anticipated. So, Javier, if we take that at face value, that could mean he thinks many people just stopped thinking live performance is culturally vital to their lives, with all the live streaming that's available, and maybe just inertia, making us inert by the dictionary definition. Um, you know, inertia from staying home a lot and just getting used to it. Is that measurable at all, or do you have a take on it? It's hard to measure, but I do feel that people have become a bit more selective in what they're willing to go out to see. And, um, you know, while our article really focused on the problems facing these theaters, there are exceptions. You know, there have been some hits that have drawn people into the theater. I'm thinking of Hugh Jackman on Broadway or um, last season, the Metropolitan Opera's opening night, Fire Shut Up in My Bones, a, a big new opera that, that drew people for sold out houses. There are still performances that people are willing to go drive in to see or, or um, take the subway to see but they are, I think, becoming a bit more selective in what what they're willing to to risk their you know health for, or what they're willing to um, you know get up off the couch for. It's still a yeah. calculation that every household I think is is figuring out, and it may change. It may still change. You know, despite this this relatively dire situation right now, I think there is still some hope that people will once again, realize the importance of live performance and, and they may not see those health threats as much as as, gr as grave a threat as they once did. Well, on the health threats, I want to make sure we address this head on. To what degree does it appear that these failures of the audience to return in full force are a function of age and the elevated risk of serious effects from COVID that we all know come with age? Your article notes that Live Nation, the concert giant that mostly produces concerts for younger audiences, is selling more tickets than in 2019. Yeah, I think age is actually a huge factor. And um, while there isn't a great number of, of, of data on it, I think anecdotally most theater producers and, and impresarios will tell you that the audiences that they had been welcoming before the pandemic were skewed older. And the, those who remain most hesitant about coming back to the theater, to the concert hall, are older people. Um, I think during the pandemic, a lot of these groups of people stayed away from theaters. They, were, they didn't see it as um, worth risking uh, uh, their own health, or some of them might have compromised immune systems, or it just might be 
you know, slightly above that age when, when you begin to think, is it really worth it for me to risk getting COVID? Um, we should say that obviously the, the risks from COVID have, have minimized so much so since the start of this pandemic. And it is, uh, you know, most, most health experts agree that going to the theater, um, if you take precautions, you can do it relatively safely. So people are becoming, becoming a bit more comfortable about that experience. But there are still folks, for example, at the Metropolitan Opera, where um, the age is skews even older than Broadway. Um, there are still patrons who who are unwilling to come back or who who really want those mask mandates to be in place this fall. And so that is all a source of debate right now, I think, across the performing arts. Should we maintain these strict health protocols, even though it may be turning off the younger people, but it may keep our, our older patrons coming. Um, and some are, are, I think, going to keep those rules in place. Lori in Glenrock, you're on WNYC. Hi, Lori. Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, you know, I I want to start this by saying how much I love live theater and I love live music and that sort of thing. However, I am reluctant to go in and see performances anymore. And it has nothing to do with COVID. It has everything to do with how people behave. And um, I had recently gone to see a musical at a theater out here in New Jersey where um, part of the audience took it upon themselves to sing along with the performers, which I had not paid to do, okay? When I go to the theater, I want to see what's on the stage because these people work very hard, and they put a lot into their craft. And that's what I'm paying to see, not to hear have uh, Joe Blow sitting in front of me singing along, in a voice that's best left in the shower, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> that's so, a really that, interesting observation. Uh, ha, have you seen anything like that, Javier? Just, uh, you know, we hear about how in school, when kids went back uh, after the remote learning period, um, especially maybe some of the ones who were younger and hadn't had that much in-person school before, or I don't know, maybe more for for high school students just because they're teenagers, they had forgotten how to be socialized. And so behavior in general worsened once people came together again in person. Uh, you heard the story that Lori gave. Do you see this happening? I think people's behaviors have definitely changed. And um, it's on a variety of levels. I think, you know, I think of, of dress for concerts. You know, I go to a lot of concerts at um, Carnegie Hall or the Met or, or you know, the New York Philharmonic. And um, I think post-pandemic people uh, are, are just a bit more flexible in what they wear to these concerts and, and aren't, don't care so much about dressing up. So that's definitely something I've seen change. And I think the other thing is just, you know, COVID protocols are, can be divisive. And certainly there have been cases I've seen of, of disputes over masks. And I, I remember yeah. reading about disputes on Broadway over audience members who who insisted on taking off their mask and were escorted from the from the theater. And so you, you're still I think there is still a lot of that um, tension on, among people and and it, it manifests in different ways. Judy in Port Washington, you're on WNYC. Hi, Judy. Hi, it's a great topic. I wanted to add uh, two points. One is that for me, this isn't just about live performance. I also don't like going to movie theaters where I'm sitting with a big audience. I go to the biggest, emptiest ones I can find. But I wanted to introduce a phrase to counteract that couch gravitational force. Is this COVID-worthy? And I'm 
Mm. Borrowing a, a concept from Seinfeld, when Elaine went around wondering if a man she met was sponge-worthy. You know, if I go to this show, will I still be okay with it, even if I got COVID? So is the this sponge was, COVID-worthy? The sponge, was, the sponge was her birth control method. Do I remember that correctly? Right. Uh, the, it had been discontinued. And she went around buying up all she could and hoarding them. But still, it's a finite amount, right? So every time she met a guy, she had to decide, was he worth using one of them on? Yeah, well, interesting. Uh, Yeah, is this worth the risk? Is this performance going to be worth whatever COVID risk is involved? So, Javier, I read that the Broadway show The Kite Runner is going to a masks-required policy for two shows a week, Friday nights, and Wednesday matinees. But all the other Broadway shows are going full-time with the masks optional policy, which began this summer. What does that tell us about the demand for COVID precautions versus the demand to be done with them in order for audiences to return? I'm not sure what to make of the competing narratives here of almost every Broadway show dropping their mask mandate, uh, but the kite runner reinstating two because they think it's going to help sales. Yeah, well, I think I think by and large, a lot of these organizations see masks as as something that's potentially turning away a younger contingent of ticket buyers. And so by and large, they are removing those mandates because they think it will appeal to this demographic. Um, on the other hand, like you said, there there is still some division in, in the community and and um, you know, I think a lot of that is around the fact that that performers themselves are are a bit nervous about having audiences come in unmasked. And you think of the audiences for Broadway shows, for example, and it's a lot of people who are traveling, have been recently traveling, have um, you know a lot of tourists, et cetera, who who may have been exposed to COVID. And and I think a lot of performers are worried about that because once they get COVID, even though they probably won't die they will be off Broadway for at least 10 days. And that can be, uh, for a, think of a star uh, like Hugh Jackman, that could be big, that could be huge for a Broadway production to, to lose their stars, to lose their top performers so frequently. And so many are worried about a repeat of last season when, when shows had to shut down or uh, cancellations or substitutions were, were common. And, and so that's what's behind a, a lot of it. But they, I think at the end of the day, they, they've made this calculation that by making masks optional, they can appeal to a broader crowd, and, and they're going to try that out. And the caller mentioned movie theaters, which doesn't come up in your article. How about movie theaters? Are they also seeing declines in the recovery of live attendance uh, compared to before the pandemic? Yeah, it's it's definitely, um, it's not just performing arts that have seen this decline. It's movie theaters as well, I think. Um, when we looked at the data there, you know, they're, in general, they're releasing fewer titles and the domestic box office revenues, I think, were down by about a third or so compared with the same period in 2019. So there's certainly um, still a lot of room to go for the domestic box office. And it's also, you know, thinking beyond movies, it's it's sports as well. Major League Baseball, I think. Um, reported that it has also been drawing fewer fran- fans into stadiums than before the pandemic. So there's boy, it's not true in New is- York, to my <laughs> eye. With yeah. the Mets and Yankees doing so well, I think I'm seeing attendance figures at like forty thousand a game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's this is uh, I guess uh, you know more broad broader than New York, but um, 
the average attendance, I think, for, for the MLB uh, dropped something like 5%. Um, wow. Yeah. Have you ever seen a stat on COVID transmission at baseball games or other outdoor stadium events? You know, theoretically, there's a risk when you're outdoors, but in a very dense crowd. But I've never seen it reported. Yeah, that's a good question. I haven't either. Um, I, I've I've seen interesting studies. People have done studies on transmission among symphony orchestras, especially in the woodwind sections of orchestras on stage, and and uh, that's clearly a threat. That's an indoor space, but outdoors, I haven't seen much good data on exactly the potential for the virus to spread. Well, we will leave it there for now with Javier Hernandez, culture reporter for the New York Times, whose beat usually focuses on classical music and dance. He's the co-author of the article that they published last week about live performance being pretty much fully back in New York City, but the live audiences not as much. Thanks a lot, Javier. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.